Wow. What an awesome song. Thanks, guys. It just reminded me, it brought back um, this time when we were singing 10,000 Reasons at uh, my previous church, and the associate pastor, who was mid-70s at the time, hobbled up to the front because he had had polio as a kid, and uh, the, the one line is something about, as my time draws near and the, the end has come, and he just spoke honestly, like, I'm not sure I'm ready to sing these words, and I just thought the same thing here, that when I'll sing for joy when my heart's heavy, like, that's the desire of our heart, but man, to put that into practice sometimes... That's a tough one. It was Wednesday, October 24th, 2012, at about 2.30 in the afternoon, when my reality kind of came crashing down. Because my reality is my personality is an enthusiast. I like focusing on the next big thing, the exciting thing, uh, doing crazy stories just to have a story to share. And when it comes to negative emotions, I like to sidestep that one and let it go by. But on October 6th of 2012, there's a young couple by the name of Elise and Jordan Thiessen who met while they were studying at Trinity Western, who had been attending our church and were related to a few people in our church. And they were married on Thanksgiving weekend. Then on Thursday, October 18th, just 12 days later, Jordan was killed in a workplace accident. That affected some of our youth, some of our leaders who were related to them, and they pulled out of the fall, fair, the fall, uh, the fall retreat we were going on with our youth group, and they said, we just need to take the weekend off. So we went away on the weekend and had uh, this retreat focusing on the Holy Spirit and the Forgotten God uh, series by Francis Chan. And, and God did some amazing things that weekend. But in, in light of some of the amazing things and the work he did in people's heart, as they came to, to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they also legally incriminated some of our other youth that were in the youth group at the time. So coming back from this weekend, I'm dealing with the loss of this this young man, I'm dealing with some of the legal complications with youth, and I open up my laptop on this Wednesday to watch the funeral of Jordan. It was being held in first, at First Alliance in Calgary, and we were in White Rock, BC, but they had a live stream up so we could follow along, and, and I opened it up, and as I'm watching this, and I'm just watching Elise, who's this, this young widow, never saw it coming, I get a phone call. And this phone call is my father-in-law. And my father-in-law is like, Kev, you, you got to go pick up Amanda. <sighs> this is why I don't like to go into my emotions. <laughs> he said, my mom's dying. She lived in White Rock, just blocks from us. He said, can you pick up Amanda and... Spend the last hours with my mom, because I'm not going to get there before she's gone. I just didn't know what to do. 
language gave out at that moment. Because you see, language or suffering is language shattering. It just breaks you. It, it takes away this framework and these words that you always relied on to articulate to one another how things are going. But when the floor is taken out from underneath you, this framework collapses. And I'd never been taught to lament. I'd never been taught to grieve. I'd never been, I feel like I'd never been allowed to grieve. Thanks, Eugene. <laughs> Did not see this coming. <laughs> oh. There's so many more layers to this story because I started even having hallucinations back to things that existed when my grandparents were alive that hadn't existed since then. And I remember talking it out with Amanda and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I, I don't think you've ever grieved. You've, you've never let this out. And she was absolutely right. This was my first time that I, the framework I had established just couldn't carry it anymore. So this morning when I, when I heard the news that Tatiana had, had been killed, it just brought back all these emotions as, as we're talking about lament and we're, we're talking about just having this suffering that just shatters the language. Because what do you say? How soon do you say it? It's the suffering is so contextual too. It's, there's so many different nuances and it depends how you knew her. I, I was very far removed from knowing her. I had met her a couple times. But then there's others who were close friends with her. And then there's her fiancé who, who had just proposed. And there's her family. So how soon's too soon to say anything? How do you navigate it? And for each person, they're going to be wanting and yearning for something different. But suffering makes us mute. And there's a silence that comes with suffering because oftentimes the suffering is just so great that we can't find the words to express the pain, the anguish, and the hidden dimensions that are encompassed in the situation. It, it eclipses our perspective on reality. It disintegrates the meanings that once served to hold all things together. Because, again, language, it's finite, it's limited. And this one German theologian, he, he says, his name's Jürgen Moltmann, and he says, loneliness is the suffering in suffering. Because you see, as we start losing our words, as we start losing this framework and our ability to articulate what's going on, it's hard for us to connect with other people, but it's also hard for th those people and others to connect with us. I still remember this, this feeling of everyone else moving on in their life while you're still here left with the reality of the brokenness and the situation. And as I'm grappling with all these things happening, 
and then still getting phone calls. Have I sent off this email? Have I done this report? Have I followed up with this? And just thinking like, wait, pause, time out. Why isn't life stopping? Why is everyone just going on as though nothing happened? But my world came crashing down. So God had put it on my heart for us to look at this week, Jeremiah 9, verse 20. And it says, Now you women, hear the word of the Lord. Open your ears to the words of his mouth. Teach your daughters how to wail. Teach one another to lament. And what's going on here in Jeremiah is that he, after years of rebellion and sinfulness, he's, he's announcing destruction upon Judah. And he's, he's saying, suffering is going to happen. It's coming. So teach your daughters how to wail and teach one another to lament. Now, this is the one verse in all of Scripture that we have that actually ties into a, an, a common practice in the ancient Near East, which was they had professional mourners. So this is a call to professional mourners. But I think it, there's something profound here because when we know destruction is coming, when we know that suffering is coming, we need to know how to wail. We need to know how to lament. And I think this is the tricky thing with suffering, is we often like to think of it as if this happens or if that happens. But the reality is suffering just isn't if it happens. It's when it happens. We're all going to go through times where we lose a family member, a mom, a dad, a grandparent, a friend, injuries and disabilities. Do we know how to lament when it comes? And I think the reason we need to teach one another to lament is because we need one another. We need to know that we can lean on each other that we can rely on one another, that when suffering comes our way, that we have a safe place to, to sit, to be silent, but to also encounter healing and hope and renewal. And oftentimes, when we hit rock bottom and we're experiencing suffering, we, we want to turn to the church. We turn our focus to God and but sometimes in, in these, my experiences is sometimes the silence can actually be so deafening. It just reminds me of those scenes from the movies where a bomb goes off and you just have the ringing in your ear and you're just trying to orient yourself of what just happened. And it's, it's just, you're making sense of things. And, and even if people are saying things, sometimes it just, you can't even take it in. But then when the time comes that you're ready to shift from this silence to lament, people often have backed away because they don't know what to say anymore. They don't know how to approach the situation that you're dealing with. So we've got to teach one another to lament. Or in other words, I think we've got to give permission to one another to lament in order to help us shift from this silence into lamentation. 
So my desire, as I've said for this church, is, is to create a safe place to encounter hope, to encounter uh, peace and joy and renewal and restoration and reconciliation, to encounter the good news, to encounter Jesus. Because he is the light of the world. So while we're going through our darkness and our dark times, my desire and my prayer is that this is a safe place to encounter the one who is light. So what is lament? Lament is at its root just this expression of the depths of suffering. It's this cry. It's I think it's this way of moving from this inarticulate groaning to then slowly being able to just cry out to God and begin articulating the reality of the situation which begins to release us from the grip of affliction. I think lament, it's a process and it's a bruised trust. It's this reaching out to God despite the sense of God's absence in our affliction. And I think the, the most powerful imagery I have of that is when Jesus is, is hanging on the cross and he's bleeding to death and cr he cries out. He's like, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's this sense of God forsakenness, this sense of God abandonment. But you see, the biblical tradition of lamentation actually offers us the recovery of meaning, the reestablishment of hope, and a revisioned faith life for those who've encountered the cruel, language-shattering pangs of suffering. You see, lament can actually be a renewal of faith. Because the goal of lament is getting God's attention. It's crying out, God, help me. It's seeking help from God. And it's seeking his intervention. And it's rather than assuming that God's hidden and distant, we actually cry out. Because we're begging for his attention and to know that he's near and that he hears us. So I really want to focus on the fact that lament is not faithlessness. It's actually linked to faith in God. We're crying out, begging for God's attention, begging for him to hear us, for him to draw near to us and to comfort us. But lament is grounded in the situation of suffering. It's the harsh reality that I think we're often tempted to spiritualize or explain it away or soften it a bit to make it more palatable. But in fact, the biblical tradition of lament is this concrete expression of the experience of suffering in all its unrefined messiness. In other words, it's just letting your emotions flow. It's letting yourself just fall apart before God and crying out that he will be there to pick you back up and piece you together. 
You see, there's often this, I don't know if it's uh, this concealed belief that to speak to God with anger or resentment or rage is irreverent and therefore off limits. But lament, I believe, truly breaks the protocol of accepted engagement with the living God. Because if we look at the, the laments throughout Psalms, and there's a whole book, Lamentations, that's believed to be written by Jeremiah, we, what we see is just this desperate cry, this protest of what's going on, a complaint to God, and they're not holding anything back. They're just laying it out. And I think that we need to, again, give permission and allow ourselves and allow one another to go through this process of grieving and to bring your lament before God and don't feel like you have to have it polished, that it has to be this perfect prayer. It's just this desperate cry. Lament reforms our relationship with God. Because we can never go back to the way it was before this understanding and this framework that we once had. So it's this way of reforming and refining that helps us understand God in new and fresh ways, in ways that we never could have understood he was there for us before, in ways that he never could have understood that, that he does hear us, that he does comfort us, and that he does draw near Lament is something that can't be skipped. It can't be substituted. It's part of the process. So don't be afraid of lament. Because God does hear you. He attends to the cry of the afflicted. But here, here's one of the, the most, ex, I don't know if it's exciting or beautiful things within lament is that I don't know what better way to, to describe it. So I, I've put it as it's, it's pregnant with the hidden expectation that God will show up. It, it's, it's just there and it's just ready to burst. It has this expectation that as we cry out to God, as we're just putting ourselves out there and laying it all out for him to see that God will show up. The Bible gives us permission to say how bad things really are, to move beyond silence, to articulating our pain. And I think that this disintegration of meaning that comes with suffering, it's slowly restored in the movement from silence to lament. In Acts chapter 7 and 8, we have the this, this stoning of Stephen at the hand of Saul, who later became Paul after he encountered Jesus. But we have this, this picture that after Stephen was stoned to death for declaring the good news, for preaching the gospel, the gospel for preaching Jesus, it says, in Acts 8, verse 2, that godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. 
And it just gives this picture that as the persecution of the church is beginning to happen, that they realize the importance to have one another, to mourn, to grieve, and to go through this process from silence to lament and from lament to community. You see, we need to create space for one another to lament. So I've put up a few things that we can discuss soon around the tables, but to create space for one another to lament. And the first thing is to let them say how they're truly feeling. This is based on God hearing us. So what I mean with this is fight the urge to have the answers or defend the faith. Even fight the urge of the feeling that, that we need to come right in and, and give hope. Because more often than not, we feel we need to have something to say because of our own fears and insecurities. We feel we need to step in and, and be able to just alleviate that tension that's, that's between us. But fight the temptation of accepting suffering prematurely. Allow the person to lament, to complain, to make protest. Because again, it, it has this implicit faith dimension by daring to say how bad the situation really is and desperately crying out to God. We're expecting to be heard and even expecting God to show up. Allow that to happen. And the good news is that God does hear us. So then secondly, invite the person or invite one another to articulate what they need rather than assuming or offering platitudes based on the God who comforts us. You see, a, a friend of mine several years ago lost his brother. And one day at church, just shortly after this happened, a well-meaning couple came up to him and said, well, I guess God just wanted another flower for his garden. The guy was ready to pop him one right there. That's not what he wanted to hear. That's not what he needed to hear in this time. But again, it, it's the temptation that we, we want to say something nice. We want to offer the platitude and to just say like, hey, like, look on the bright side. We often want to defend God. We want to provide answers. But the Bible doesn't give us answers. It doesn't give us the answers for suffering. And we could do a whole study on the book of Job, which is a phenomenal look at kind of the relationship between us and God and human suffering. But here's a favorite quote of mine that I came across. The guy's name was uh, Preston Yancey, and he, he wrote this on Twitter one day. And I took a screenshot of it, and I've never forgotten it. Because he said, there's a deep valley of difference between saying something is purposed by God, and God will bring something purpose. 
And I love that because oftentimes we swoop in and we want to give that hope. We want to give that defense. And people look at us like, what are you talking about? You're telling me that this person's dead because God wanted to do A, B, and C? But that's not to say that God can use things for his purpose. So there's a deep valley of difference between saying something is purposed by God and that God will bring something purpose. So as we seek to be a comfort to others who are experiencing this eclipse of hope, don't beat them over the head that you have hope. Rather, just be that hope for others. Sit with them in the darkness as we look to the one who is light. And third, stay in for the long haul. God comes to us. It's important that we recognize the suffering and suffering, the loneliness, and to acknowledge that loneliness of the suffering person. And while Suffering's often inaccessible and not entirely understood by others. We're, we're called to respond as a people, as a community, as a church, as the body of Christ, who together make God visible in this world. So as a church, we must continue to be faithful, to be a faithful witness to God's presence, even in the darkness. So it's not just merely about looking ahead to the future. It's knowing that God's present with us today. It's knowing that we're not alone. And beyond the hope for tomorrow, it's knowing that God hears us today. He comforts us today, and he comes to us today. This is our hope. This is what makes suffering sufferable. The Gospel of John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word is Jesus Christ. And, and He is the light of the world. And John 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. As we continue to meet as the well, as, as the church, as friends, as family, remember that the light shines in the darkness. That light is Jesus Christ, and, and he hears us. He draws near to us. He walks with us. And it doesn't make it easier at first, but as we continue, I just have this picture of this dark room and a candle lit in the center, and I just keep thinking as we keep drawing near to the light, just the warmth and the comfort that that light continues to provide, the closer we step into him. So let's teach one another to lament. Or better yet, let's give permission for one another to lament. And I have a song that I'm going to play 
It's by Ren Collective, and it's called Weep With Me. And let this be my closing prayer to this message.
that's taken from the story of Jesus and Lazarus, where Jesus comes and weeps over the death of his friend. So together, let's, uh, let's discuss some of these questions that are going to be on the screen, and let's learn from one another how we as a community can give permission and to walk with one another in lamentation. So let's take about, uh, well, let's take some time and uh, then we'll continue with our service and communion following the discussion time.